0: Traveling the Vortex.
1: We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and landed at episode number 272. It may not be a capital offense to steal biscuits, but it might just be to wash the scarf. It's like washing a cat. I'm Keith.
2: I'm Sean.
3: I'm Glenn.
1: How are you guys?
3: I'm doing good. Very well, thank you. I
1: could be better, as you can probably tell by my voice.
3: I think I'm the only one well at this table,
1: <laughs> like, not sick. Yeah. I feel fine other than my throat being a little hoarse and the way it sounds and my cough and a little bit of sinus stuff. Until I lay down and then it's horrible sinus stuff. <laughs> but otherwise, you otherwise, feel I mean, it's, <laughs> I feel way better than I did earlier this week when I had a fever. Yeah, you look pretty ragged on
3: Wednesday night before you stayed home on Thursday. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Keith was wearing a jacket around the station. And it was I like was that cold. 75 <laughs> degrees in the station.
2: That's exactly what I had. I wish you luck in getting over it. Oh, so it's your fault. Probably. <clears throat>
1: well, I quickly um, went and got some Advil
2: congestion like I recommended to you.
1: So, so I'm so. next. <laughs> Great.
2: <laughs> I, I, thanks, I, guys. I, I kid you not, I just today finished my second round of antibiotics.
1: <clears throat> Did you guys have a good week? Yeah.
3: Do anything fun? Uh... Just, Watch anything good. I just finished uh, reading uh, the third Wife in Space volume, mm. the Pompous Tory, and you uh, trucked through that pretty quick. I did. It was I, as soon as I get those things, I plow through them because they're so enjoyable.
1: Especially now that you're up to a point where you've seen all the stories.
3: Yeah, that's the kind of the nice thing. And then um, I started a new one called uh, Nothing New to Say about Doctor Who and this is volume one and it's it's another one of those well it's it's interesting because another one of those watch-alongs where a guy it's now he's published his blog in uh, mm. uh book form and it goes along and he just he started from an, an unearthly child and he goes all the way through classic doctor who and he writes about each one and he's he's a doctor who fan but he's come to it where he started in the Patrick Troughton era when he was young mm. and saw a lot of classic Who and now he's going back to kind of see and, in, and with the Hartnell stuff he's seeing stuff that he'd never seen before he, he it's fun He's he's got kind of a whimsical way of doing it you can tell he's self-published and does not have an editor because there are a lot of flaws <laughs> with it but it doesn't diminish the concept or the, the uh, enjoyability of the read
2: What's the author's name again? Do you remember?
3: I uh, can pull it up real quick. David David Clark is the author's name of Nothing New to Say About Doctor Who. That's that's why the, the title's interesting because he comes to it with the full confession that, you know, I'm not probably not going to bring anything new to this <laughs> that hasn't already been said, but we'll see. And so that's why it's Nothing New to Say About Doctor Who. Clever. There's a lot of things that he says are in line with uh, fan populace, and some of the things that he says... Go starkly against what the fan consensus is, which nice. makes it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, what else did I do? Oh, I got my copy of uh, In His Kiss. Oh yes, uh, because I did pre-order the Havoc Files uh, from Candy Jar Books this week, so nice. I will hopefully be getting one of the three hundred copies because you guys know it's limited, right? Yes. So, um, and then, uh, so that came, and I went ahead and read. I went ahead and went ahead <laughs> and read it. so it's good. And, I mean, there's no secret. We all have, actually, a preview copy of that book, so we'll all be reviewing it. I got a movie in called uh, Things to Come.
1: The H.G. Wells Things the to HG Come? The H.G. Wells Ooh. Things to Come. Have you guys seen that? It's on my list. I have not. It's fascinating and at some points very boring. Mm. <laughs> I don't. I, I watched it while I was homesick, and I don't know if part of it was because I was, wasn't was feeling well, but near the end it started dragging and I started getting tired. So I, I'd recommend... I. I will re- recommend it to select people, and you guys are some of those people. <laughs> I would recommend
3: <laughs> it, too. Uh, I knew
1: Sarah would not like it.
3: We at least could appreciate it. Yeah, yeah,
1: and, and the, the set pieces and the production in this is phenomenal. I mean,
2: they did a really good job, especially for 1936. We watched um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot. <laughs> we kind of... Did a mad push and got caught up to where we're at with Patrick. Oh wow! Uh, but yeah, we, we we actually. I'm going to throw out a spoiler flag here. If you're not watching Agents of Shield, you really ought to be because wow, do I feel not bad for not being on that bandwagon. And then I started the uh, the Last Great Ride by Brandon Tartikoff, which is a book that I've owned for a very long time. Was
3: it about the uh, NBC uh, premium years? Yes. About how the yeah, I think I remember, I remember seeing that, wanting to read that. Kind of the behind the scenes of the heyday of nbc especially on thursday night tv mm-hmm. with all the sitcoms uh, so, that so were 90s uh 80s 90s. Yeah, he, 80s he, and he and was 90s. he was in charge, the, the
2: average lifespan of a tv network programming executive is about three years if you have a really good run you go five brandon was in charge of nbc during the heyday he was the one behind things like cheers and cosby and friends and seinfeld and must see tv and all that yeah. for 12 years so Kind of an interesting. He got Quantum Leap on the air, so I I have a vested interest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right,
3: should we move on to news?
1: Yeah, there's some uh, kind of regurgitated news this week a little bit that we're going to touch on briefly. Uh, Capaldi has recently said that he's been asked to stay on, but he's not sure if he's going to past season 10. Um, And then he also mentioned something. I didn't read the full article. I know. I, I, it's, it's a separate one from this, uh, Sean, that you read, that he said that BBC is not looking after Doctor Who.
2: Yeah. Um, basically, he, he feels that, specifically the scheduling, the fact that the show has kind of been bounced around different time slots, uh, is not conducive to it, and he thinks that they may inadvertently be taking it for granted. Um, and in in Capaldi's mind, that uh, in order to uh, maintain the integrity of the show and continue to build on that family audience, that family atmosphere, it needs to be on Saturday nights at a set time. Whatever it is, pick it and leave it. And uh, he, he thinks that uh, by bouncing it around and not scheduling it one year and scheduling it again another year or later and later and later, he said uh, there were he, he said there were times that I didn't even know when it was on. Mm. And that's, I think, a legit concern, whereas, you know... There's a, a legit argument there. Anyways. Yeah. We're a little fortunate, I think, over here with BBC America when, you know, we get the simulcast or the replay, the, not not in a repeat, what am I trying to say? The day of broadcast. day of broadcast. Yeah. That they have a time carved out for it, and that's kind of the way American television works. Yeah. Yeah. I
3: think, though, the, the interesting thing about those comments Unless you're is, TBS,
2: and then it's 7.05.
3: <laughs> the interesting thing about those comments is the fact that for the last six years, it has been on Saturday night and constantly consistently now i think i do i, well, I do the give, time, the time has you know, been i do give a him lot. the uh the point that they shift the time but they do that with all television so it's not like doctor who's the only thing subjected to that right. everything is that and in fact i think if you're a british viewer you're you're you're, you're accustomed to, to that and so in fact i think that's why radio time still exists today because yeah <laughs> tries to publish at least you know a consistent at least of that week. schedule, but I, I things do get shifted and slid, and depending on what game of the day's on and and what not sometimes we'll uh vary that up but i i yeah i
0: don't i
1: and it helps for us that in America it's not on one of the main networks i mean this is b b c one so there are the big games and stuff that will cause delays or shifts. Whereas BBC America they can schedule the whole day around Doctor Who being on at this certain time
3: right and knowing that i mean it it airs six hours roughly after yeah. it does in the BBC it doesn't nothing's gonna change the fact that it's going to air here at eight o'clock yeah uh, what is it eight. eight o'clock eastern seven o'clock central yeah. or is it even eight o'clock now central I, I thought it got bumped or something I don't remember I got bumped by an hour or something.
1: It could depend on what other programming they have going on that night. I never watch it live
3: on (laughs) Saturdays.
1: I don't know. Uh, And then some other not-really news that is coming back up is Caliber Quarterly Magazine did a recent interview with the great Brian Blessed, and one of the questions they asked was, would you appear in Doctor Who again if the the chance happened? he said, oh, yes, I would love to play the Doctor. Absolutely. A few years ago, I did Tom Jones, not literally, I mean the TV series, of course, The History of Tom Jones, in which I play Squire <laughs> Western alongside the current Dr. Peter Capaldi. Uh, I would say it's the most eccentric performance I've ever given, and my wife would say it's the best. Anyways, he goes on to re-describe the time he punched Peter Capaldi up, And so then he also said later that uh, he would love to come on, uh, hopefully so that he and Peter could fight again. <laughs> even if it's not as the doctor. So if if you go look it up there's other questions they ask like what kind of doctor would you be? stuff like that. So it, it's it's worth interesting um interview to read. There's even a question there's been talk of a remake of Flash Gordon, would you want to be
3: involved? <laughs> Any uh any interview with Brian Blessed, despite what he's talking about. It's interesting. Yeah. And, of course,
1: not all of it is online. There is more um, in issue 8 of Caliber Quarterly.
3: So let me ask you, Do you want to, would you like to see Brian Blessed as the Doctor, personally?
1: I wouldn't. I don't think I would either. Yeah, I just... I love
3: the man, I love but I don't... love to see Brian back in, in On the two. show. Yeah.
1: I don't think he could physically do it anymore. I don't think he... As much as I love him, I don't think he has the range that is needed to play the Doctor, acting-wise.
3: To me, Brian Blessed is a character actor. Oh, yeah. And and when he does embody a character, he's phenomenal. He's such a joy to watch. But he's not... I mean, you certainly could argue that the Doctor, because he has so many different personalities, wouldn't need a range, I suppose. But on the flip side of that, I think I'd rather see him... Doing what he does best, and that's uh, whether it be sidekicks or second twos or guest stars or things villains. like villains. Villains, yeah. Uh, I think that that, that would I, I'd love for him to come back as your Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just you know, with Peter Capaldi as the Doctor now, and maybe even bring Perry back oh, so yeah, that gives some be- closure to fans as <laughs> to what actually happened, and not a offhanded comment that if you know if you're just a, a television uh, uh, viewer. Of Doctor Who, if that's how you get your Doctor Who, you basically all you got was a offhanded remark as to what her actual fate was. So <laughs> I wouldn't mind
1: seeing a, like a Red Nose Day special where he's the Doctor.
3: Yeah, that'd be fun.
1: That'd be a good way to do it. Let him let him do it, but not do a full series with it. Just give because... him all
2: the best speeches. Yeah, <laughs> just
1: mash them all together.
2: <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> Matt Smith at the Pandora. I am talking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, that's what we ought to, if if he ever comes to a convention, we ought to take him, we ought to sit down and choose
3: I speech.
2: I know, Glenn's, Glenn's, and Glenn's cringing right his. now because it's his least favorite thing in the world.
3: Somebody just did that again to, some, mm. to another mm. doctor recently.
1: Sean, would you want to see him as the doctor? Um,
2: Yes and no. I, I, again, I'm with you guys. I love Brian Blessed. Uh, he is a national treasure, and I wish he was from our country. <laughs> I wish he was our national treasure, and that Nicholas Cage could find him in a vault somewhere because he's that awesome. <laughs> but um, I, I think if you had approached this many years ago, yeah, when he was a little more spry, <laughs> when he was offered the role. Yeah. and turned it down when, when, when he was uh, allegedly. Allegedly. I take
3: anything Brian Blessed says in an interview with a grain of salt when, when he was oh, not no, to have a heart his attack life, crazy.
2: at moment um
1: yeah I would hate for the the, the drain that do, being the doctor would take on him to um, um, take his life I mean we want to keep him around as long as we can <laughs>
3: yeah cause he's what almost
1: 80 he's 80 yeah
2: so yeah that, that that I think would be fun um but I also, I, I kind of with Glenn. It's like I, I just don't know that it's a good fit. But you know what would be interesting, and maybe an even better use of him, since Big Finish is bringing back Unbound.
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
2: why not a new Unbound Doctor? Get him on, get him in as an Unbound Doctor, just to see what happens. <clears throat> that would be awesome. But first, turn the volume way down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just on his microphone
2: that's probably why they haven't had him finish it, they, they can't figure out you, you turn it down for Brian Blessed and you have to turn it back up for everybody else it's <laughs> constant
3: like everybody's on the same mic you can turn individual channels Disney down. can do
2: it I, I think he come on I think he would still blow out the mic
3: Disney
1: did it just fine Tarzan mm, you really almost really can't tell
2: it's Brian Blessed in that no, role you really, <laughs> you really can't he's very understated in that Yeah, which is a great performance <laughs>
1: Oh and other news, uh speaking of Big Finish, they are going to release some limited edition vinyls of two different stories. Uh kind of the top two most popular Big Finish stories, The Chimes at Midnight and Spare Parts. They will be reissued on vinyl in October and April, respectively. So if that's your thing and you want a vinyl copy of
3: uh key right there, if that's <laughs> your thing.
1: If I found a vinyl copy of Spare parts, uh, <laughs> At, like, a used vinyl store, it'd be hard to pass that up.
3: Even though I don't have a record player. <laughs> Just like Ghosts like the soundtrack. Is it, what's the, does the vinyl, does a record actually have a print on it? Because if it's printed, then yeah, I'd, I'd frame it and put it on a wall. Well, yeah, it's got a sleeve and everything. I uh, know, I mean on the actual... I didn't, they didn't show us a picture of the it didn't show Yeah, that's, that if the yeah, record doesn't have a print on it, I am not interested. It, yeah, I, I didn't watch the commercial. <clears throat> I, I didn't see
1: a picture for... Uh...
3: I'm going to... I'm going to preface this parts. by saying I realize this is a it's-not-for-you moment, but everybody that gets pretentious and tells you how great Final is over everything else is just full of malarkey because that's four-step words back in the in the quality <laughs> well, of what audio. It is, it's, it's nostalgia. And uh, while it shows you every – you can hear every spectrum of the audio as opposed to MP3, which is very limited – it's ridiculous that we're going through this vinyl phase again. It's very <laughs> hipster. It's a fad. Yeah. And it will die out in the next five well, years.
2: Here's the deal. I partially disagree with you. I you th- disagree with me all you want. I, 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 th- <laughs> I think vinyl. You
3: 100% disagree with me.
2: I, I agree with you that it's a fad. I, I, I think that vinyl is more about the culture of vinyl. And when you, when you say hipster, it's very it's much a fad. Falls into that. it'll
3: that. It'll be out in five years. I
2: also think it does it's been building longer than sound better than CD and MP3 copies. I think there is a legitimate richness to the sound quality that you get off of an album that you don't get on a CD because they've cleaned it up and remastered it to the point where it's so pure. you're right. You don't get the
3: record scratches and you don't get the little needle pops and you don't get all that kind of things that are not superior quality, yes. Well, no, I I don't don't mean
2: that. That is there. (laughs) That's the nostalgia. That's the nostalgia kicking in. But I I think there is literally a a, a richer tonal quality to it.
3: You've bought into the myth as well. Well,
2: here's the difference, though. (laughs) Would I own... A vinyl copy of this? Yeah, if I had a record player and everything, sure, why not? Because it's kind of a cool little thing to have. I haven't. It's quaint. I haven't gone out and bought a <laughs> That's record That's all it player. is. It's, it's quaint. I haven't gone out and bought any records. As much as I'd love to have the, the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, for example, on vinyl, because I think that'd be really cool, I haven't gone out of See, I'd really have, have that on cassette.
3: <laughs> that's the quaintness well, yeah, of that. Yeah, no, no, no. Acknowledging fully that the quality of that is gonna be but far the reason that more. I haven't done it yet is because I don't have
2: time to sit on my couch with headphones and listen to an album. If I did have the time to do that, I would be buying vinyl nonstop because that plays into that culture of it. I usually have music on, it's when I'm moving around, I'm doing something, I'm cleaning, I've got something going on in the background. That's when I'm listening to the music, and for that, MP3 and CD is fine. I have no problem with it. I can carry it in the car and do whatever. But if it was just me in a dark room with the headphones listening, vinyl would be the way to go.
3: You know why I think that you're completely full of it. <laughs> Is because it's because you're nice, the same guy who tried to convince me that Laserdisc was a superior quality to DVD. It is a superior <laughs> when <we> quality <laughs> know When science shows us that there it's are a, fewer scan lines far
2: superior and format.
3: fewer resolution laser <laughs> Laserdisc. The, the, so the I ease I can't, of using you, it alone I can't is so take <laughs> you as an authoritarian on vinyl as well.
1: Well, there's going to be 500 copies, and each will have four discs. So it's going to be a big vinyl.
2: You mean platters?
1: it says this <laughs> how long does one record left? it's
3: it was like 20 some minutes on one side usually well, it's 33 and a half rpm so <laughs> revolutions per minute so
2: yeah. about 33 minutes
1: so
3: uh, I'm not sure you can get 33 minutes on a that would be a, a revolution a second I don't think that's right hmm. um I think you it's can get about minutes. 20... It's about,
2: it's about an hour for both sides.
3: Yeah. So. No, I think it's about 20 minutes oh, uh, per album, you mean? Mm-hmm. An hour per album? Per album. For no. Inc- it's, both sides. Uh, it's probably 40, 40 to 45 minutes per album. Because I think uh, one side of a record only lasts about 20 minutes, if that.
2: Either way, it's perfect for Big Finish because you put it on, you listen to one side, and that's one episode. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah, that's I that's true. Flip. There you
1: go. Well, you can pre-order them for 79 pounds with the price raising to 89 pounds after the release. Uh, and then one other vinyl notes. They are going to re-release. Demon Records is going to do a very special vinyl edition of Genesis of the Daleks for Record Store Day, April 16th. I'm not sure what record store day is, but Record so Store Day the- is
2: like free comic book day. Record only store they don't day. give away anything free. <laughs> and it's a whole bunch of special edition stuff that usually is a little more expensive, but it's only available
3: on that. Record day. store day is the record industry's uh, attempt to continue <laughs> to keep it viable and it's it's basically life support for <laughs> record vinyl industry. Well this uh, actual- they do
2: CDs that release on record store day. CDs. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> no. there, are, there are. There are compact discs that come out last year for record store day. Metallica <laughs> released an album C- on cassette.
3: CDs are just nearing the end of their lives, man. too. That's what, that leads more to my point that it's life support for the industry. Well, if we get one
2: in at work, I'll buy it for him and he'll be all kinds of excited oh, because yeah. it's Daleks. And it's gonna it's Daleks?
3: Genesis of Daleks. What was Genesis? On vinyl. On vinyl. But we're talking the about audiobook. the audiobook. Oh, the audiobook. Well, but see, that original... There's, now, there's a bit of nostalgia for that. BBC's the original records. audiobook came out on vinyl. That has a, a, a uniqueness to it. That it, Yeah, absolutely. I'd take it, and I would love it, because that's how it was released in its original form. Oh, sorry. When, when is, you're putting I, Big it's Finish. The, it's the
1: condensed soundtrack version along... Uh, the condensed soundtrack version, the original TV episode, has... Tom Baker Improving... What? Okay, never
3: mind. Go ahead. Well, the original one was the, was an audiobook, and it was read by Tom Baker. And it, yeah. I think it was I'm the first sure. Doctor is. Who audiobook.
1: And this is going to be on TARDIS Blue Vinyl. Ooh. Oh, see, now and
3: there are little things that make it unique, that, that make yeah. it then a collector's item. But I think putting Big Finish on vinyl is kind of a <laughs> silly money grab. Yeah.
2: I agree, especially, again, se- especially at 79 pounds. That's yeah, that's like 115 yeah, yeah. Of US. So, I don't think... I wouldn't pay for an original Beatles album to, on vinyl for 115. Caters
3: but. to... Oh, I would. Caters to... Uh, <laughs> but again, again, that's history. That's not has nothing to do about audio quality. <clears throat> Our last bit
1: of news is a convention guest announcements... For Planet Comic Con, Mr. Arthur Darville will be coming to Kansas City. Yay! Yay. Now,
3: was Arthur at uh, Wizard World when you went? No. So you don't have Arthur. I don't have Arthur. That's nice. That'll yeah. kind of round out the set. It really will.
1: Wow. Now all I need is uh, Jenna Coleman, and I have Jenna Coleman and Alex <coughs> Kingston, and I have all of yeah. Eleven's. Com- That'd be cool if we could get Jenna and Alex. Again. Yeah, That'd be awesome. And Sarah, or. Sarah looked at me and when she saw the announcement, and said, "We're getting a Rory, right? Not a Rip. Duh. Rip Hunter."
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah, and you
1: said, "Rory, yeah, of course." Although oh, i was looking tempted.
3: at you because I was waiting for the,
1: what you told me. I'm, 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 I'm I am a little tempted because I am liking the Legend of the. Oh, War I'm a liking. Lot. Yeah,
3: I'm caught up now and I'm liking it a lot too. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like him better as Rory than as Rip, too. but he's, he, he he. I think he fills the role of Rip beautifully.
1: Well, maybe if I ever see him again.
3: Yeah, that's kind of my thing is now that people I keep keep getting repeats on people. I keep thinking what else can I get him to sign yeah. next time, you know? <laughs> I'm ready to drop another 50 bucks. Well, what can I drop next? Time? Get next time.
1: Seeing like Sean has
3: a Rory, so he could get a rip. I could get a rip, but I if haven't he watched didn't. any of it. Well, if I ever get a chance to see uh, Jeremy Bullock again, I'll uh, get a Hal the Archer. Yeah, there you go. One, instead of uh Boba Fett, which I already have. So You
1: wouldn't get a Space Museum one?
3: I, I don't know, I might. I like to I like he, he was a good character in Space Museum. I, I think Museum. he's in Well no, I think he's made him about equal. Yeah, he really is. Maybe he is I in Space Museum a little bit more, but do a, twofer. <laughs> a two yeah, this would just print out a uh uh my own and put okay. it aside, Put them side by side on an eight by ten and have him sign the middle. <laughs>
2: That's it for news.
3: That's
2: what I did with Peter Mayhew. I had a picture of Peter Mayhew. Oh, yeah, and then yeah. a picture of Chewbacca. Yeah, and yeah. He, he signed. That's a good idea. especially for He signed for men Peter masks. Mayhew, and then on the other side, he signed Chewbacca. <laughs> so it was, I that's got clever. I got two autographs for the price of yeah, one. That's, that's how cool that is.
1: Shall we move on to feedback? Let's. Okay, Sean, I'll let you read Ben's feedback because my voice.
2: It's good that you tell me these things before our pre-show meeting. So I just that thought I of it as we started recording and that
1: my voice probably shouldn't exert myself so much to read feedback.
3: <clears throat> Thank you. Let's give it to the other guy who has <laughs> <laughs> been working his voice over time.
2: Ben writes, subject, Ben's new feedback. Message, hey guys, not much going on here as usual, just work, podcasts, etc., Of note, though, is that here in the House of Reed, we are still in the middle of the birthday season. The wife's was last month, my younger son hit double digits this month, and my older son and I have birthdays next month. I mention this because the wife decided to let me have my birthday stuff early. She did this because what I wanted is older and somewhat rare. We went onto your website and traveled to Amazonia from there. Upon arrival, she procured some old Doctor Who Target novelizations for me. The Loch Ness Monster, also known as Terror of the Zygons, Full Circle, The Giant Robot, also known simply as Robot, The Brain of Morbius, the non-Doctor Who novel Time and Time Again by Ben Elton, and last but certainly not least, Lung Because of the various places some of these titles were coming from, she decided to order now and have me help in order to secure the correct titles' editions. Some of these may not get here until next month, closer to my birthday, as they ship from the UK. And that's another reason she did this now. That's awesome. Yeah, that is really awesome. Still book-related, but not birthday, I pre-ordered Bundle 1 from our friends at Candy Jar Books. Bundle 1 includes the next three novels in the Lethbridge-Stewart series. The bundle begins next month with Moonblink, written by Sadie Miller, Elizabeth Sladen's daughter, and continues for the next two books. There are, of course, six Lethbridge-Stewart novels due out this year. I assume once the first three books are out, another bundle will cover the remaining three titles. And lastly, I jumped on to the pre-order of Havoc Files as I was listening to your show the day it dropped. I got in during the first hour. <laughs> at that time, Andy had a link to it in his tweets, although now it's just a listing in the Books tab on the Candy Jar website. I received Saturday in His Kiss, the free short story you get when you pre-order Havoc Files. I really enjoyed it and look forward to your review of it. That's it for now, guys. I look forward to the show. It's become my favorite day of the week. You guys make the time at work go better. If you ever end up in this neck of the woods, look me up. Take care
3: We'll do that One of these years We'll go up to uh, Chicago Tardis Yeah Probably be about The closest we are To you ever
2: (laughs) If we can time that right It would be really awesome To do it on the podcast And announce That we were coming To visit him And as he's listening To the podcast There would be a (laughs) knock At the door We've tracked you down We're here That would take Incredible timing I think we could do it I think we could do it Said the guys that.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so Who are we kidding? Said so the guys that took uh, eight and a half months to get the uh, first Patreon gifts out. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: that hurts, Glenn.
3: It's, you know, I, w- I didn't say you. I said us, the guys. Guide. Yeah, but we all know what you're <laughs>
2: thinking.
1: What finger was pointed where? I uh, keep just saying.
3: We all take the blame.
2: Why don't you just Han Solo me under the table while you're at it? Well I, that's thought I did just shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for feedback.
1: Sweet. Shall we move on to our review of the Droston's Curse?
3: Don't. Oh wait, you have heard the I shall make <laughs> you
1: the jewel at the heart of the universe. Something distinctly odd is going on in Arboroth It could be due, due with golfers being dragged down to bunkers at the Fetch Brothers Golf Spa Hotel, never to be seen again. It might be related to the strange twin grandchildren of the equally strange Mrs. Fetch, owner of the hotel and fascinated with octopuses. It could be the or fact... Or <laughs> Or octopi. It could be the fact...
3: Octopi is not a word. Octopi octopode. is a word. No, it's not. It is. It is not. It was in the book. No, octopo- octopi was not in the book. Octopi is in the book. No, it was uh, <laughs> octopuses or octopode. Okay. It could be the fact that people in the surrounding (laughs) area... You know why it wasn't in the book? Because it's not really a word. Because he's wrong. Oh, look it up. Look it up. Look it up up in the book. You can search it. You've got the uh, digital copy. We'll let you do a search for a word. See if Octopi is in there. Octopi is not a word.
1: It could be the (laughs) fact that people in the surrounding area suddenly know what others are thinking without saying a word. Whatever it is, the doctor is at most home when faced with a distinctly odd... With the help of Fetch Brothers Junior Receptionist, Branny, he'll get to the bottom of things, just so long as he does in time to save Branny from quite literally losing her mind and the entire world from destruction, because something huge, ancient, and alien
2: lies beneath the ground, and it's starting to wake up. Dun, dun,
3: dun!
2: I love this book. According to Merriam-Webster, both octopuses and octopi are acceptable plurals. The reason for the octopi plural is because some people mistakenly associate octopus with Latin words like syllabus and alumnus.
3: Read the last part of that again.
2: It's because some people mistakenly associate it, but it has now been accepted by Merriam-Webster. That's
3: why it's been entered in the lexicon, and as an acceptable it, plural, it is not technically a word. It is an word. acceptable plural. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a word, because it, it doesn't have a Greek uh, It has no
2: etymological basis, I'll give you that, but it is an acceptable word. (laughs) It's a (laughs) common-use
3: word, I'll give you that. But but the book book. does never say octopi. I'm pretty sure it says says octopuses or octopode. I do remember
2: octopode several times, but I'm pretty sure there was an octopi in there. Probably on the part of the doctor.
3: But that's okay. Doctor wouldn't have used that word. Yes, he would have. No, he because would, this he would book was. He riddled with inconsistencies. He would have gone down to the the uh, basis of uh, the Greek entomology of the word.
2: <laughs> he would have if it was written correctly. It was not.
3: <laughs> I. Are you saying Al Kennedy is not a? Uh, uh, what am I looking for? A uh, competent writer.
2: I'm saying Al Kennedy is a very competent writer, and I, I wish that um, she she had focused a little more on the competency of her writing and a little less on trying to sound like Douglas Adams because I think this story would have been more enjoyable <laughs> that's what I'm saying I'm gonna yeah, go first because I know bad. where you're gonna go that's with this too bad. I enjoyed it I, I did enjoy it but you, you know how I have said many times before this is a nutty idea it's almost Douglas Adams-esque yeah. and you sit there in your chair and you shake your head like I'm really 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 far off base with that I understand where you're coming from, because you're going to say, this, this is how you do Douglas Adams Adams, correctly. This is in the style of Douglas Adams. I'm not saying that all the stuff that we've done whenever I say that is a Douglas Adams style story. I'm just saying it's a Douglas Adams idea. It's worthy of something Douglas would have come up with. It's just nutty enough to be, yeah, I could see that. This goes so far into trying to be Douglas Adams. It's so wordy. It's so over the top. Have you read Douglas Adams? Yes, I have. That's exactly
3: what he does. That's the it problem. Is, it's wordy. It's over the top. It's but, that's that's the but, point. But in the hands the of Douglas Adams, and that the works. Structure not only because he's the first one well, that did it. He's I mean, all mean, the, that's, that's, that's. Yes, that's, that's what you're saying. And he, he, and he unfortunately, right. I don't think that's true. I well, I feel I that she. <laughs> while I feel that she does emulate him. Heavily in this, she has the pacing, the tone, and the structure down. I think there in are order times to where write it in such pushes a way, it too so far
1: did, where it starts to get a little tedious. Unlike Douglas Adams, where it doesn't.
3: As did well, see, I disagree. As did Gareth Roberts when he wrote uh, the novelization for Shada. I thought that they both have a grasp on how Adams wrote, how to pace and structure, and how to make something as uh, scientific very draw it down and make it very word 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 worldly for the reader for somebody describing something to somebody that by any other scientific or science fiction author would have put technobabble in there and things that sound very intelligent they drill it down to very simplistic terms that almost anybody can understand and i love that it's 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 very much in that vein that Ish. aside that aside Ish. that aside, I, I, I also she, think her voice for the doctor is spot on. This is the fourth doctor. I could so see the fourth doctor doing everything that he does in here, saying every line that he says in here, and acting in every way the way the fourth doctor would act in this situation and and how this comes across. This is spot on for. Uh, a good chunk of the Fourth Doctor's era. Maybe not late Fourth Doctor, leisure hive years. <laughs> things, but.
2: I, I can agree with that because I was very pleased that the Fourth Doctor sounded like the Fourth Doctor until the wordiness of her descriptions got to the point where he didn't. Specifically, and I wish I could find the, because the, I didn't get a chance to actually pull you up at the time, okay. but paraphrasing the, 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 the line, somebody is obviously... Uh, intelligent and handsome as he would not fall for this. The doctor... I don't think on. the fourth doctor would have. I don't have. think he yeah, would have. Really. The doctor has never really referred to himself as handsome. Now, he's vain. I will give you that. He's also very the, the, conceited. The doctor would say he was handsome. I will give you that. But the difference is, I know that the doctor is conceited and vain, but I don't want the doctor to know that he's conceited and vain. That's where you toe over. I can over see your point. Line. I can see your point there, and it, 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 becomes, there. it becomes just a little bit yeah. too much. And when he goes through great lengths and monologuing to Romana about you, you, you want something regal, but it should be a crapshoot. You want this. You want this, and that. Oh, but I'm very handsome. And he says it not once, but twice. And each time was like <sighs> yank me right out of the story because it's like. And, it, and it, it was done solely for the purpose of going. Look how much I sound like Douglas Adams. And it
3: just. Was yeah, like, oh, see, I disagree. I, I, I disagree with that. That. <laughs> uh, that comes back to that. I don't. I don't think that's true. But that's where that one. I'll out, give okay. you that. I will give you that because I. I. I understand your point about how the doctor is vain, but doesn't necessarily realize that he is, or realize well, even if, he's being.
2: Even vain. if he does realize yeah. it, I don't want him... To, I don't want to know that he realizes right, right, that he's... Exactly. That, that's, that's where you kind of toe into that, because <laughs> right. he, no, he I'll, goes I'll, from I'll being a likable character to a not-so-likable
3: character at that point, you yeah. know what I mean? I'll mm-hmm. give you that. So. Um, I also love the characters of Bryony and... Um, uh, Putta. Putta, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that the the the, <clears throat> the characterizations of those... I love how we take a companion who's in a very droll, blase life and throw this immense adventure at her. Well, it and I love like how it's... she fills into it like it's a, like it like she she fits it. She like she's made for this, but she doesn't know it. And just as as it trucks along, she becomes very confident in her role as a companion in this and I, I think that works really well.
1: Despite it being set in the 70s, she feels like a very modern
2: companion. Yes.
3: Yeah, I think so, yeah. I also, for the exact opposite reason, love how Putta is the very (laughs) almost bumbling... accidental hero in this i love when authors take a character that becomes sort of the accidental or reluctant hero in the situation that they keep going along with the situation and never fully intend to be that person that is is the leading man and in this book he never is but he continues to be dragged along in his role and it's only really i think his love for uh (laughs) byrony That uh, uh, Bryony, that uh, really is why he ends up acting upon the things that he does. And I like the idea that he's somebody that wants to be noble but continues to be uh, almost a coward and a bit bumbling at the same time. And being able to d- almost drag this companion through and show him all his worth as it goes on. And I, I love that aspect of it. I love how she takes and she... Characterizes each of the characters, even the guy that owns the or the manager at the hotel that uh, uh, Brian he works under. I think that uh, he's he's a certain character. I think that that you would pluck out of uh, a nineteen seventies Doctor Who, especially oh, yeah. in the Tom Baker or maybe even in the uh, Peter Davison era of that kind of uh, sub antagonist that is so overwhelmed with the the. Not even the charm of the doctor; more of the—he's uh, just expected to do something. He does it because the doctor tells him, "Well, you, of course you're going to do that," you know, and just and charms him into actually doing what the doctor needs or or wants him to do. And uh, I think that's very much in line of 1970s Doctor Who. Um, I like the 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 concept of the villain in this, which is this. I, I like I really like the fact that it's this
1: ethereal bigger than it's she never really until it kind of gets to the horse farm you never really know what it looks like or what it is it's just this mental entity that's out there and consuming people somehow
3: see i don't even think it's i, think, I don't think it's ethereal i think that it it's works it's on, physical there i think it works on a uh, i don't even know how to describe it. i think it works on a different plane of reality and I think that's what you're trying to get at. Yeah. But I don't think yeah. it's ethereal because it does have a physical presence. But, but, and the but idea is that it's underneath this uh, golf course. Yeah, but she old. doesn't
1: try to go down and describe what its physical presence yes, under the which golf I'm, course which is. Which I think is the
3: other thing Which that, is
1: what I mean by ethereal is she doesn't describe it so you don't try to... It's it's such uh She
3: doesn't pigeonhole you into trying yes, to imagine what yeah, it looks it's, like. It's such Agreed. a fluxing
1: and uh, adapting description and behavior for it that it can be whatever you want it to be Agreed. Which had Agreed.
2: this been a a legit douglas adams story i think he probably would have gone there i well, think the golf course at some she, point would have stood up i don't know that she and, and well, wandered off i
3: disagree i disagree with that now had terry pratchett been writing this well, yeah yes, pratchett <laughs> definitely that, no and that that that's exactly way. in the vein of, of pratchett i think that i think that uh, uh douglas adams <coughs> knew me. when he had a concept of something that was too big to wrap your brain around he realized that he couldn't he had to he had to describe as i think she does in this he had to kind of skim across it and drop, and, and and she drops little hints of what maybe you might think it would be, yeah. and and the octopodes and the octopus is one, On, and and later one you get such a great continue.
1: explanation of why yes. those things yes. look the way they do
3: exactly, and then uh, but using the horse image, imagery is something that also grounds our uh characters our heroes in this in being able to wrap their own minds around yeah more so uh and putta because they are more like us they're 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 somebody they couldn't imagine that you kind of suppose that maybe the doctor would be the only one in this story that really could um uh grasp what the imagery of, of this thing actually would be, but they don't go that far to let you know that he does, yeah. so I, I like that as well.
2: And even though Put is an alien, you, you sense that, obviously, Byrony, or Br- Briney, um would be familiar with a horse, and yes. would immediately yes. fall into noble steed yes. with mm-hmm. the way that it's described, and it seems easier to believe that Putto would also, because they're sharing consciousness at that yes. point, Yeah. Be led along that path.
3: And well, you get okay the impression versus... that Putta is humanoid, so probably oh, has yeah. the same <coughs> limitations that an Earthling would. Right. Yeah. Mental and physical. Um, the other thing that I really like, and it, it seems to come so late in the book, and it was almost a surprise to me, is the idea of the of the the little boy. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, the
1: the villain, the little boy. The, yeah, they the, the ends up being the, the junior. Yes, you know Clooney who Jr.? Yes. Yes.
3: That almost Funny. seems mm-hmm. to be kind of late in the game in the sense that we get little pieces of his family and he's this typical, you know, pre team child who Xander. Xander, well yeah, that was his uh his his assumed name in the in the new reality oh, yeah, that yeah. was yeah. being created. But um the the uh Grand uh, High Emperor. No, what was the kid's name? It was just some it was Paul. like Peter Paul. or something. Paul. Paul it was yeah. Paul. Clooney yeah. Jr. So Paul It it comes so late because you get little doses of Paul and his family and they're being affected by every cut to him. So even the first
1: time you do it, it's so far into the book.
3: So you get all of these little pieces of he and his family that seemingly are infected or affected the same way that other peripheral characters are being affected and then later to kind of drop the idea that this is the thing that it, that the uh that it is latched on to that the entity is latched on to yeah. because it has awakened and it has it, it's you know failed attempts to get the doctor to be uh to be servant to the doctor it decides to be servant to peter and Peter having such an immature mind, even in the sense that it's all of the things that he imagines are things that are within the realm of how a, you know, child, I don't remember how he was, like 10 or 11 years old, how he imagined or how he can grasp and concept things in the sense that uh, he calls himself uh, what you just said. The Grand name. High Emperor. Grand High Emperor and uh, Z- uh, Xander. Xander, you know, and so even goes so far as to put that in sort of the reality so that we as the reader and the characters can kind of be grounded in what ne- what maybe uh reality is being formed there but never getting very out of bounds of otherworldly and 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 really kind of have to stretch the imagination as to what what's really happening i just i think she places that in such relatable terms to the reader yeah. that it works really well and it's it's quite a surprise that this Boy, who has just been briefly mentioned a few times, and as you said, not till late in the book, till about halfway through, yeah. or maybe even further, that we we are kind of introduced to his family, and then suddenly for him to be the connection uh, to all of this, to, to be our uh, MacGuffin, not even MacGuffin, or well, it's, it's it's to really have, have the climax, yeah, yeah. And, and almost a uh, probably more of a reluctant villain because he thinks i mean i don't think that he really thinks he's going to be malevolent he's just a spoiled kid who has is fed up with life as he knows it Mm -hmm. and so he's going to be world world leader now And that's what his his goal is that's his goal he somehow has the ability so yeah and so now that he has the ability so it's not even like uh there's a lot of heavy-handed evil or malice no, he, there. He, he sees an opportunity. Yeah, exactly. He's an opportunist. And he he's basically angered his parents in the way he's been treated. And he hasn't been treated any different than any little boy his age, which I think is the, the cool <laughs> thing about this. So it's almost an, an innocence of maturity is the reason why it becomes such a big deal.
2: This is the one area of the book that I really enjoyed because it, it, it showed that double play that the the innocence that that Paul had as a child—that you're right—he wasn't abused, he wasn't beaten, he wasn't uh, you know in any way, shape, or form mistreated. He was just a
3: kid. In his mind, he is. In but his he isn't mind, based on he's any
2: suffering other. the slings and arrows of right. uh, of early right. puberty and being a child at the hands of his adult parents. Right, and right. why did I have to be named Paul Clooney Jr. and and and, and on and on with that? And so when all of a sudden he's given this this gift of whatever you want you know the genie's out of the bottle oh, I want this, I want this, I want this and as each wish, wish for lack better. of a better term comes true, true and it, I think so um, no I didn't so that when he gets this wish the, he, he, the, uh, as each one of them comes true and it becomes more of the, the, the wishes are happening and it's okay well I can, I can, if I can get that I can get this and his ambition suddenly begins to grow along with it that it's bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's, he's he's not an unintelligent kid. He knows he's not going to be emperor of the world tomorrow. He's yeah. starting with, you know, let's conquer and secure the 50 miles outside of town. Yeah. And then we'll we'll go from there. And, and you know, we're going to cut off communications. We're going to do this. So he's got a, a logistical, methodical process to how he's going to go about doing this, which is admirable in a way for somebody of this. But what's interesting is the play on the fact that the child in and of itself is relatively innocent, as is the creature. The yeah. basokar is a is a relatively innocent thing, and that's what the doctor is striving to look for. That this creature, who has only been discussed in myth and legend and and uh, you know tales of times gone by, that it does exist, and it's not the destroyer of worlds. That it pretty much is, in some ways. Whatever you make it, whatever you make it to be, yeah. and it, it, it's it's just an entity that has this immense psychic power that was used for evil, and therefore it became evil because that's what everybody thought it was.
3: Yeah, I, I'm glad you said the Basokar because I couldn't remember what the Bas- name was. <laughs> <thing> Bas- <laughs> Basokar, <clears throat> um, great name. I agree with that, and I like the the uh, to agree with flipping it kind of on its head that it it was built up as this legend and this mythos and even the doctor sort of bought into the legend of this and how evil and deadly this thing could be, this thing of legend, this thing of nightmares to turn around and then understand it and then go a step further when they realize that this is only one pod in what could be (laughs) many buried across the uh, earth and then to just kind of let it go as a, well, we'll have to deal with that later if we have to deal with it later yeah. kind of mentality i kind of like that that was almost quite fourth doctorious like eh it'll be okay <laughs> i it, if you're if you think that the doctor's secure in leaving these things then it's probably okay <laughs> i also like uh how it ended in the sense that people sort of went they didn't just go back to normal there wasn't just this like reset there was almost this this uh, repatterning because well, people the, that they had,
1: remembered what they they kind of remember they subconsciously yes, remember yes, subconsciously. what kind of came
3: before and and people were returned it was one of those you know just just this once everyone lives rose yeah. it was this it was this kind of a a reset but a better life for everybody and they, she even talks about how the. Uh, the area that they lived blossomed and became, you know, uh, prosperous at the time. And Drosten's became, uh, a, a world renowned, uh, resort and people yeah. came there and it all had to do with the fact that, um, this presumed evil entity, the Bosokar. um, kind of gave them a little bit of a second lease, and i like that that the, the 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 villain once you turn it on its head and realize that it's more of an innocence as, as sean was saying and then kind of hand it over to the well it sort of corrected a lot of wrongs as well yeah. it kind of uh, gives it a bit of a a, a no more redemptive ending well. i
1: i also really like julia fletch throughout the whole story uh because you kind of, at the beginning, you kind of wonder if she's kind of involved with what's going on. Because obviously the twins are a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start to worry, is she being held captive because of the twins? Yes. And then... And then you just kind of
3: think she's crazy at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's just senile. Uh, or, senile or just woman.
1: being affected by it all. And the twins just happen to be there. And then I love the fact that she was the one that found it. Yeah. Put it under her bed, or under her pillow. Yeah. And kind of created all of this. And lived this incredibly long life and then it, it just did such a sad turn of well, her losing her husband that's so just early she finds and it, it in tragedy and, and the, it ends up being a yeah, bonus for her yeah i loved how all of that played out it was really well orchestrated
3: yeah the twins are are uh, well realized too as well there's a lot of times that they're a bit offsetting and and you're as a little they on as yes and you're you're you you know there's something early on you know there's just something not quite right with these two little Children.
1: No, I remember her describing them as fair-haired, right?
3: I believe so. Yeah. Did anyone
1: absolutely else imagine yeah. just pure white and just dressed all white?
3: Uh, more like uh, uh, children of the damned look. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Platinum absolutely. blonde. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Me too. Okay. Good. I'm not the only one. Yeah. yeah. No. That's, that's, exactly that's exactly where, exactly where, I, where I went I with I it. Uh, her in pigtails and he in the you know cropped, uh, uh, toe headed haircut. You know the the, yeah. the short. You know, kind of the bowl cut the bowl cut almost yeah. a bowl. well i didn't even see bowl cut so much as as just a really cropped look you know a very an average 19 well i kind of visions of a kind of average 1950s look yeah. as I, maybe I, I as maybe did. the uh, grandmother would have imagined them uh instead of a 1970s look even you know yeah kind of mayberry <coughs> uh but creepy, creepy as very, heck, very and and, and not so much early on. Like I say, yeah, effective, <laughs> not so much early on because early on you sort of get an uneasy feeling about the twins, and it's not until later that they start to become creepy. Especially when the one eats the spider, <laughs> <laughs> and then the spider materializes there in front of the doctor yeah. when he's in the uh, communication with it. And
1: I, I, I also really like that whole bit of him inside the basakur, and then the. The callbacks and references and the fact that it's building up his fear. And, of course, you know, he's more afraid of Cyberman than Daleks. And then the, his biggest fear is what recently caused him to regenerate. Right. And that's the eight legs from Plane of the Spiders. Right. I thought that was all
3: very well orchestrated. It was well done. Well done.
2: <clears throat> I, I confess to being a little angry initially. <laughs> I guess it wasn't even Daleks. It was Davros. When, when when he's in this chamber and he, they're describing it and the doctor's kind of working his way through it. And you begin to realize as the reader, it's like, he's been eaten. He is literally in he's the a, belly of the yeah. beast at the moment. And then he looks up and notices the unmistakable Dalek construction. And I... Almost threw the book across the room (laughs) Because it was like This is not their MO This is not how this is supposed to work I'm not supposed to believe that there are Daleks in this story And then it was Davros And I went, no and then it just wound up being a mental that, that was that another, Okay, That well, was great.
3: another part of, I thought, the genius of this book is that she does a really good job of making you believe that, oh, we're going back to the status quo, we're going back to the humdrum, oh, there's something behind this. And then as she continues to weave that thread of, well, Dalek, no, Davros, no, and and, and continues to throw things at the doctor, or the, the <coughs> Sokar does... Um, then you kind of get the idea that it is trying; it's playing with his head. He's oh, yeah. having a mental battle with this thing at this time. And I never got the the full impression that it it physically swallowed him, but it took him to a place where it had full control of him. It's almost it took him more inside of that, him somewhere. Well, it's almost more of that. Because when he's returned, it's kind of like pop. Yeah, but that's just it. It's almost more of that. You were trying to say uh, a feel. It was more of this this different reality that is completely he I mean, he describes the texture of of the chamber and the walls and, and almost an organic look or feel. Yeah. And so I think that's that's what you're meant to imagine. So I, I I I see where you're going with that. But I almost gave it more of a <sighs> there's kind of this otherworldliness of this that he's not necessarily standing in the belly of monster of the whale. He's Inside, maybe even the mind or brain, but that's he's what somewhere inside it. Yeah, but that's somehow I has, suppose
2: it could be, since so much of this has been dealing with mental projection. That this could be the Basokar's mental projection of the inside of its mind. Yes, there you go. Yeah. That, that's kind this, of I'm more creating the way I a went space with it. for him, yes. and this is where he's going to live, and this is what I envision. And he
3: isn't—he like. is indeed trapped. I yeah. mean, there, he couldn't get oh, out. Yeah. It was—it yeah. was definitely a prison, but. Uh, That was more of how I envisioned it. Now that doesn't mean I'm 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 right. It might have been more of a physical aspiration than that, but uh, that was kind of where I got what I got out of it.
1: I also really liked um, how she portrayed the TARDIS in this, and And how protective it was. How protective it was. The 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 personality she gave the TARDIS, which was in line with the TARDIS, and just without the Doctor being there, and how Byrony could just kind of sense and feel and almost communicate with the TARDIS I, all of that stuff was really well done
3: well and that and it's very protective of Bryony but it's very <laughs> apprehensive of PETA too which I think was very
1: cool I, I, and how PETA works his way through of okay how am I gonna get gonna, out okay I'm gonna make this thing <laughs> make really mad bad. at me <laughs> and get <it> ejected <laughs> which was fantastic which he does all in the wood panel console room. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and very descriptive of it as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Talking about the brass railing that leads up to the door. to the. the it talked about, about a bit more door.
1: handles and brass handles than I, I remember seeing.
3: There are, there, the, there are brass handles at the door that yeah. come down and come out around. Now, the brass handles aren't up close like on the, the modern TARDIS. It's not right around the console. Oh, okay. The brass handles are more around the, the wall. And so especially coming in from the door, there's there's brass okay. up there. So that's maybe Maybe I misunderstood
1: what you meant by handles. Uh
3: like um handrails. Handrails. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, okay. That's I, I was for, yeah.
1: for some reason was imagining like drawer drawer
2: handles
3: for nope. some reason. I was like, those are what they were handrails okay. that came down from. That the makes sets. a lot more yeah. sense. Yeah. And those were brass.
2: Okay, yeah. It kinda of helped, I think, putting a uh, um hand of I,
1: I had just seen it from the Lego version, so I knew it was <laughs>
2: Put, putting Hand of Fear on the schedule for this week, I think, really kind of helped, because when yeah. we get to those scenes in the TARDIS, it's, yeah, that's the thing. It, now, it's also possible, because I think the console is described slightly differently, and whatever... I, uh, I, if I don't remember in the book mentioning a time rotor, yeah, and I, I didn't notice until watching Hand of Fear there isn't one. There isn't one. In there, there isn't one, and James mm-hmm. said the same thing, that he never really noticed, because we decided uh, when, when uh, James came over for that, we're both really big fans of that console room. I've decided I really, really do like that one. I think previously I'd said that I didn't. It
3: was sorely underused.
2: I agree with that. Oh yeah. I think the problem is what James said is that there's no time rotor and therefore the console the console first of all is too small because it's just a little pedestal thing. And I don't believe you can control everything in all of time and space that the TARDIS can do in front of It's the backup. That that little one. <laughs> um But it it needed you know what it needs? Is it needs eight's console in that room. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. That would work. That would really work. I'd buy that.
3: I think that uh, if we're going to take a Watsian approach at this and do it from inside the story, I think that the idea of having a smaller console is actually a preferable idea because The Journey's End kind of postulates the idea that Mm -hmm. it takes a crew to fly a TARDIS. So what would the fourth Doctor decide to do? Use a smaller console since he likes to fly it solo, and you could get around those controls a lot easier than going around that huge hexagonal one that is in and the it, uh, main it, it control. it totally room. makes sense. I so, agree with you. Do. Yeah. Put my uh, Watsonian hat on and kind of retro <laughs> retroactively uh, fix that retro cannon. I love it. So, so it we, works How we fix things? <laughs> the uh, Dar- <coughs> the Darwinian aspect of that—not Darwinian—the. Uh, Doil, doiliest version of that would be it was probably so they didn't have to use as much stage area <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> make the room smaller size. so yeah. that the set didn't have to be take up so much stage but.
1: well, I, Sean I wonder if some of your complaints about the Douglas Adams levels to this is because some of it is this was originally a short story in a time trip series of ebooks. So then she adapted it and extended it for this novel. Yeah. So I wonder if she went in and did added a lot more of that stuff to make it longer.
0: <clears throat> hmm.
3: I will be the first to admit that this part of the reason why I didn't give it five stars. I think I only ended up giving it four stars a good read. Is I did feel like it was padded. I didn't feel like it was wordy. I felt like she took the short story because I, I knew ahead of time that she had written a st- short story and extended it for this. I felt like she was trying to make she was trying to hit a certain page number, so she padded it out with some probably not
1: no, not knowing this was a short story. I felt that while reading it,
3: yeah, um, I kind of felt that she had added in uh, maybe some scenes that didn't necessarily have to be there, and especially because of the pacing of the book, there are some chapters that are literally half a page. Which I like that, and the, the but but when you when you read it, it's almost like we stepped away from the action for this. It, yeah, it
1: depends on depends
3: on the chapter. And yeah. in those cases, it felt like it was padded out. Now again, it didn't feel wordy, but it felt padded.
2: I think that's in my experience. That's always been a challenge. Writing is trying to determine the proper chapter length. As a reader, I like to be able to read. And I like to be able to feel like I'm making progress. So frequent chapter breaks are nice. I don't want to delve into something with the James A. Michener style. Here's 9,000 pages, and then you get... It's not even a real chapter break. It's just that paragraph break. And you're like, seriously? (laughs) But I don't like it when it's so chopped up. It's like, you know, when you look at the table of contents and there are 97 chapters in a 400-page book, it's like, this is too excessive. You need to mash some of this together and edit it a little bit differently or something and and i i feel that way as a writer when you're you're trying to strike that balance that it's like this far but no further but not too much shorter unless you have something absolutely dazzling that's going to happen in that short little span of time then it's okay you dazzle me on that page and a half and it's like all right cool (laughs) I'll, i'll give you that one
3: i would agree me as a reader from a reader perspective the if I had to drill down to it, I, I I'm I'm fine with it anyway that chapter. It, don't get me wrong, but I think the most comfortable is about twenty two, twenty three chapters, twenty two to twenty three chapters, and I love the paragraph breaks. I love the if you if you're going to step away and you don't have a reason to end the chapter. Do that little power. Oh paradigm, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you right. there. I just okay. I think when, when you have a an overly
2: it, really. long chapter, yeah, that yeah. just goes on and on and right. on, and you don't right. feel like you're going anywhere because you've been reading pages right. and pages and pages, and then you finally get to that point, and it's like <gasps> there's a oh, it's just a break. It's not like a, <laughs> because uh, I, so feel, really I feel I feel compelled to keep well, going. Yeah, I like to, I like to be. Able I, I want to don't stop like, on a chapter. Yeah, I don't
1: like I don't like. Stopping mid
2: chapter, even if it's in one of those paragraph not breaks, not to mention, and I can't if, stop on some random page. Not I can't to do
3: mention, that. if you've gone on that long, and then you felt that you needed one of those chap those uh, 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 paragraph breaks, then it should have just been a chapter break. You should have just put that cha- the end of the chapter there. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, books will feel like that. It's like, why didn't you just end the chapter here?
2: That's my humble thoughts on editing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the Virgin New Adventures, I think, do it really, really well. That's all
0: i say
1: on that. I've always been a fan of short chapters. Of feeling like you make a lot of progress in the book and then being able to read short chunks anytime you want. You don't have to carve out time to read a chapter because it's going to take you 30 minutes to an hour. You can pick it up five, ten minutes at a time and read it here and there. I like that kind of...
3: Writing. Say if I were more of a can't stop in the middle of chapter type, I think I'd be like you. Yeah, right. I, me, I, I, me, I can put a book down. In the I middle can't of the stop in the middle of chapter. It's
2: My OCD. Did anybody happen to notice the uh, the additional hitting the nail on the head? Look what I'm doing, Douglas Adams moment with uh, the character of David Agnew. <laughs> 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 yeah, David Agnew you, you, felt you a little one.
3: a bit of a push, but yeah.
2: <laughs> Which was the, uh, 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 the City of Death pseudonym? Yeah, so or not City of Death. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. City of yeah. Death. City
3: of Death. Yeah. City of Death. Uh, I was trying to talk about Because Destiny was written as, Destiny. as uh, Douglas Adams. I am De- uh, trying Agnew to convince Agnew myself wrote, I've got, we've got that backwards. No, now. I think it's David Agnew with City of Death. With City of yeah, Death. I think you're right.
2: Okay. Because there are technically only three Douglas Adams written stories There's Pirate, Pirate Planet, Planet, City of Death. City of
3: Death. And and uh, uh, destiny of the, the one Galaxy. that I just said yeah, yeah. destiny of the dogs okay. <coughs> well no that's right, not destiny true destiny of the dogs is first destiny destiny isn't fully written by Adams he put touches, it was it was city yeah. of death okay yeah he uh, Adams didn't write destiny he put enough Douglas Adams in it to get a co-writing credit on I believe I think somebody else wrote that with him
1: uh, Doug, David Agnew also uh, invasion of time. Graham Williams, and that, David Weir. It wasn't just the Douglas yeah, Adams. Yeah, it wasn't
3: just the Douglas Adams. Yeah, I was going to say that was also written under that name, but it was not Douglas Adams. That's correct.
1: Tend to be Graham Williams, co-wrote with... as part of David Agnew. <clears throat> One of our reviews on Goodreads from Holly. I quite enjoyed the book myself. I, too, got the Douglas Adams feel from A.L. Kennedy in the story. He really captured the doctor... And as played by Tom Baker in this, it really kept my attention. I didn't have to go back to reread any of the pages, passages to know what was going on, which is always a big plus. It's on my to re- to reread list for the future. And Ben said I read this one a few months back, and I really enjoyed the story.
3: Was that it on the? That? that
2: was
1: it on the Goodreads book
2: club. And obviously, you still have time. Uh, you know, if you're a member of the book club, or even not, you know, go to the Goodreads page and sign up and become a member of the book club. It's free. <laughs> yep. Benefits galore.
3: Do you have uh, Legend of the Shielder up there available to you? I think Amanda has written uh, a review did she, did on she that. she a review? I think she did. Since we read the uh, reviews out last time, so maybe we ought to slip that in here as well. She said, "I did finish the other day." This is uh, Legend of the Shielder. Let's yes. make that clear. <laughs>
1: Uh, Arabian Nightmare was definitely the lowest point of the book, but I really enjoyed the last two, particularly the one with the Plague Doctors and her children. The second one, uh, Llewellyn's one with the Alien Game Show, was good, but it seemed an awful lot like a Black Mirror episode. Overall, I thought the collection was okay. When it was good, it was very good, and when it was bad, it was very
0: bad.
3: (laughs) And then uh, we should also take this opportunity to point out that next, well, this month's book that we're reading is uh, the... 12th Dr and uh Clara novel uh Deep Time and
1: written it, by Tra- Trevor Bax Baxendale Baxendale
3: and it is part of what is called the Glamour Chronicles and it is the third part but you don't I I, I have finished it don't feel compelled to have to go back and read the first two um, you won't be lost so if you're if you're putting that one off because you feel like you need to read all three of them I I certainly encourage you to read all three of them, but if you went ahead and started on Deep Time, you wouldn't be lost or or, uh, missing anything out. Um, I presume from what I read in Deep Time that the glamour must be um, side mentions in the first two Mm. stories, uh, enough to try to make a loose connection in a story (laughs) arc.
2: (laughs) We've got one more review that's posted um, about another book, um, Lethbridge, Stuart, Beast of Fang Rock. Chrissy apparently finally finished it and just posted her review. Uh, And she says, I loved this book. I've enjoyed the Lethbridge-Stewart series so far, but for some reason, this one seemed to grab me the most. I love that the series gives us a chance to look at the personal histories and characters from Doctor Who that aren't main companions, but still memorable in their own way. Anne Travers is one of those characters. I loved seeing her story and getting more of her character and personality. The story itself is very clever and full of great twists that are difficult to talk about without spoiling the story for others who haven't read it. Which, if you haven't, <clears throat> and you're any kind of classic Doctor Who fan, you really need to. In the thanks section at the end of the book, author Andy Frankham Allen jokes about the pressure of writing a sort of sequel to one of the most beloved Doctor Who stories ever. Well, Andy, I think you met the challenge beautifully. I look forward to more.
3: If you're not a member of the Goodreads uh, Doctor Who Book Club, please join in, because uh, the more the merrier we like to listen to, or we like to... Read reviews from you guys And uh, we like to make it a collaborative effort Um, One of the things that I tried to do this time With Deep Time when I was reading it Was uh, try to put it more of the book club Aspect And as I read along I got into the discussion uh, section and kind of wrote my thoughts as I went. Um, Any time that I felt that it was going to be spoilery, I kind of strayed away. Yeah. But uh, I think that kind of gives it more of that book club feel. Uh, it's quite all right to go in there when you're done and write a full review. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, also want to mention that if, you know, uh, and Ben did a good job of this, uh, mention if you do have spoilers in there so that you don't get spoiled because I had to skip Ben's review uh, when I was doing my little mini asides or discussion uh, pieces, but uh, it might be kind of fun to kind of do it in the sense that you do with the book club, where you come to the discussion table as you're reading the book and kind of, you know, talk a little bit about things as you go along as well. It's not something that I'm saying you have to do. I'm just saying, you know, that, that kind of gives it more of a book club aspect. So, yeah. Might be something there.
1: We didn't talk about the, uh, the Andy Pandy outfit yeah, that's right. in the book. Yeah. So I'm just going to assume that the TARDIS just recreates all the former Companions outfits. Cause Sarah <laughs> because Jane Sarah Leeds left in and, hers. I yeah. noticed that too.
3: Yeah, I thought the same thing. But uh, I think that that's just as it makes copies of uh, console rooms, it must make copies yeah, of why not?
1: <laughs> You never know if they come back and forgot that outfit
3: and really want to wear it. That's right. You know? <laughs> It replicates food, it replicates uh, console an, it's, rooms. It's a whole archival right thing, you know. <laughs> Every Unless. single
1: outfit that steps through those doors gets archived and recreated. Right.
2: Unless this story somehow takes place before Hand of Fear. I don't know where you'd slot it. I don't know, I don't, I don't know you how can. you could. <laughs>
3: um, I think if you want to retcon it, you could probably figure a way to get it in there. But I think specifically because she alludes to the Andy Panty outfit... And who would wear something like this is is one of Bryony's, uh responses to that outfit. Uh, I think she, I, I would almost presume that she wrote it intending it to be when the Doctor was traveling by himself post Sarah Jane. Yeah, so. I would agree. And maybe that's, so. I like your retcon better than uh, Sean. May, may, <laughs> well, here, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do him
2: one. I'll do him one better. Maybe the reason the TARDIS recreates the Andy Pandy outfit is because the TARDIS misses Sarah Jane.
3: Oh, Okay, now I like yours, too. Sean, we're going to come up with a schedule. It was funny,
2: watching Hand of Fear on Friday Night Who, that scene is still hard to watch. I know it's coming. I know it's the end of the run. I know that going into that story. It, it always And I have be. all this fun with Eldred and the nuclear power plant, and this is all great, and then I get to Sarah Jane leaving, and it's like, no, I'm not ready for this again.
3: <laughs> it will always be like that, I think, for you and I especially.
2: I think so, too. Uh, well, next week, uh, or rather this Friday for Friday Night Who, uh, Day of the Doctor... We've got, uh, because we just can't get enough of these guys, we're going to do some Matt Smith, and we're going to do some David Tennant, and we're going to do some John Hurt, uh, and it'll be awesome, again. And, of course, the reason that we're doing that is because we're continuing our Beyond the Doctor series, uh, taking a look at projects outside of Doctor Who that the Doctors have done as actors. We'll be doing John Hurt's 1984 I don't excited. know if you can call it John Hurt's 1984, but we're going to call it John Hurt's
3: <laughs> It's probably more like George Orwell's 1984. George Orwell's 1984 starring John Hurt. We'll I'm say excited that. because I read the book and I, I've never seen the movie and I'm curious to see how they... And you
2: still up. haven't watched it yet, right? I still have You're, not watched it. You've got it on docket it. for this yeah, week. It is
3: still on docket for this week.
2: Um,
3: it's it's not an easy one to get hold of, but we found out that there's an avenue through our library that I can see it. So. Yep.
2: And then uh, beyond that, uh, we'll be doing uh, Terror of the Vervoids the following week with Colin Baker. So we get a six-doctor story. Mm -hmm. And uh, some big finish, uh, number 68 in the main line, catch 1782. (laughs) And then some more uh, Titan comics. We'll be doing the 12th Doctor run, uh, issues number 11 through 15, and finishing off his season one. Uh, And we will have more scheduling notes uh, coming very soon to the the interwebs and on the uh, uh, website and uh, other places.
3: And of course you can find us on any of the forms of social media which are? We are on
1: Facebook Traveling the Vortex. We are on Twitter at Travel Vortex. And then of course the Goodreads Book Club that we mentioned.
3: Alright. And if you want to support us we are uh, members (laughs) of Patreon and you can be a Patreon supporter. Uh, We encourage you to uh, click on the link on our webpage and support us if you can. And if you're already a supporter we Thank you immensely for Thank doing you. so. Thank you because, very much. Uh, it does uh, help this show. Uh, if that's not your bag and you want to support us while getting a little something for your support, uh, you can use those click-through links to our various sponsors on the webpage. You can also send us feedback on our website at
1: TravelingTheVortex.com. There's a Send Us Feedback tab there. Just click on that and send it. Or if you want to just send it straight from your inbox, go to or send it to feedback at TravelingTheVortex.com.
2: I also want to throw a shout-out and a thank you to uh, everybody who liked our Facebook page. Hey, we broke 400. We broke 400, so that's a a big deal. We're very excited, and thank you again for that.
3: I'm glad we didn't promise anybody anything. (laughs) 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 By the time we got those out, it would be 500 likes on our page. Well, here's hope. (laughs) (laughs) All right, is there anything else we need to touch on this week before we uh, close this show out, guys? Oh, come on. Surely there's something. I don't think so. Nothing? No, I don't think so. All right. I didn't want to sound like we were wrapping it up hurriedly, <laughs> as Mark pointed out one week. But I guess if there's nothing else for us to say this week, oh, then I oh, guess oh, we will oh.
2: No, I don't have anything. Uh,
3: <laughs> well, I guess since there's nothing else for us to say this week, then... Oh, not, oh, oh. Uh, oh yeah?
1: No, sorry. Uh-huh. Lost it. All
3: right. Well, I guess if there's nothing else for us to say this week, until next week, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you.